You're about to listen to the Unleashed Podcast, where you'll be inspired to live a supernatural life and experience the reality of God. If you enjoy this message, do yourself a favor and subscribe. Or if you would like to connect with us further, visit unleashedchurch.org. I hope you know this about me. If you know me, you know this. I'm a total dreamer. I don't live in the now. I live in the then. And that can be kind of hard sometimes. If you're a dreamer, you know what I mean. I live in revival. I don't just think about it. I don't just pray for it. I see it. And I live in it as if it's already here. So anytime the physical world falls short of my dreaming expectation, that's hard for me to deal with. And my number one struggle in my life is staying in God and in faith in the time between the future reality and the current physical reality, okay? If you're a dreamer like me, you know what I'm talking about. Every Sunday we meet, I expect a 1,000 people to get saved. I'm serious. I'm not kidding you. I expect a 1,000 people to flood this place for us to be so packed We have to go into the gym. I expect everyone to be healed that shows up, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, every single person. I expect the manifest presence of God in the middle of a thousand people to rock the world. I literally expect that. I'm not kidding you. I literally expect that every single week. I live there. And the key is how do you live there and and not allow this to kill that, okay? Here you go. Thank you for taking everything I was gonna talk about. So, (laughs) I learned how to give sermons from Nate, so I wrote two, and then I'm not gonna do either of them. So, just so we're aware. No, so I'm Jake, everyone. It's, I, I know most of you, but for those of you that don't know me, I was a part of a church plant. We've been doing this for a while. It's really awesome. What was on my heart was talking about unanswered prayer and the hurt that comes with that specifically, both living with vision and not seeing it in reality, but also just the the typical pain that comes with not having a prayer answered, which is really hard for me to talk about. I was terrified of doing this, not because I'm afraid of speaking, but I don't have the answer. I have no idea how to do that. Like, you can go home now. Um, No, so I really, this is something that has been the biggest struggle in I would argue every believer's life, but especially mine. It was something that I I could never get my head around. It was my biggest faith block. It was my biggest just hurdle to get over when it came to intimacy with the Lord. And just a bit of a background. I don't want to give a testimony, but just to understand context. I have a digestive disorder that's been the biggest pain in the butt in the world. It sucks. And I mean, like, Dyson vacuum with all of the attachments sucks. Like, it's just horrible. And it has... It has just ruled my life. It's been something that's been very difficult to handle, been very difficult to to be able to live a normal life while working with that. It's something that is uncurable. It doesn't have, like, there's no real treatment for it. It's just kind of try to manage your symptoms and hope for the best. And to this day, I still have, like, horrendous problems with it. It's something that gets in the way of everything, and it sucks. So I'm I'm sitting here going, okay, God, what am I supposed to talk about? Like, because I really felt like in this season the thing confronting us most is unanswered prayer. It's what are we doing? Why are we doing it? God, we're, we, this is our heart. When we planted this church, it was 
We want to see revival happen. We want to see people get radically loved. We don't want just like 100 people have a cozy place to go. That's fine and great for a lot of people, but we wanted to see a move of God that changed the culture. That's a very big dream. That's something that's hard to hold on to. And so I'm sitting here going, okay, well, definitely we need to talk about unanswered prayer. How do you do it? Like, what, what, well, how do you take everyone from point A to point B, especially when I don't even know where point A is? Like, I have no idea. And so it was something that was really scary. And then I, I started coming before the Lord and realized, like, it's not about the answer. And, th- and there isn't one. And if you're expecting it from this sermon, I apologize. And I would love to meet you if you have the answer. But there's something about the relationship with the Lord that satisfies that hurt. And I think that when earnestly pursuing God, a believer has to reconcile that supernatural nature and the promises of the Lord while sometimes living in moments that do not match that of heaven. And again, I argue that that is probably the hardest thing for believers. It's something that, like, how do you do that? How do you justify God as good while still living in a place that hurts? And even if it's not hurting you, you're watching other people struggle. You're watching your friends, your loved ones, that you go, why are they in financial ruin? God, they've been the best people I've ever met in my life. Like, why are they struggling financially? Why is that something that's going on? So it can really be anything causing this kind of hurt. And honestly, just to tell you the truth, I'm like, okay, Lord, like, what do I even do? Like, what, what, what do I typically do when I'm struggling? I'm like, well, I curse and swear a lot in the private place. And, like, I usually just cry out screaming at God at how much I'm mad at him, how much I'm just, like, frustrated with what's going on. I always go to the blame myself route. I don't know if you're built like me. But like this last season, just in August, this is a very brief synopsis of what was going on with my disease. Um, basically, in August, in three, for just three weeks, that's all it was, my disease massively flared up with absolutely no explanation whatsoever. I was puking every single night. I apologize if talking about puke bothers you. Imagine how I feel. No, <laughs> sorry. But so I was puking every single night, tons of blood, not fun stuff, definitely like really bad signs. And it was every single night, the irony was at like 2.15 a.m. for like a solid week, every single time. I was like, wow, this is regular. And so it, it just sucked. And for three weeks, I wasn't able to keep any food down, wasn't able to take my medical formula that keeps me alive. I lost 30 pounds, which is a lot for someone that like can't gain weight. And so it was horrible. I ended up in the emergency room because on average, I have like 10-ish ulcers. So I'm very used to these symptoms, but it, it was flaring up so much that I was like, okay, something's not working. So I go to the emergency room, and just like anyone with a rare disease, the ER doctor's standing it over you going, oh, I have no idea, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, cool, that's what the copay was for, for me to think? Thank you. And so I've just, like, lost at all of this. And I'm like, oh, what did I do? What are you doing with this? I'm asking all the questions that believers always ask, which is, God, why is this happening? God, where are you? God, why me? Did I, am I sinning? Am I not aware? Am I, like, sleepwalking and killing people? Like, what's going on? Because I can't figure this out. And that whole time, it just sucked. And then still, I don't have an answer from it. They, they basically put me on a bunch of drugs. Some of them kind of helped. Some of them didn't. I'm still trying to gain the weight back. So it wasn't like this, like, oh, cool, the heavens opened up. This guy knew the answer. Like, none of that happened. And the whole time I'm going through this, I'm just like, God, like, you are so good, though. And it was almost, like, delusional of, like, how excited I was about Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you. Like, I was miserable and having a really hard time coping with it. But there were times where, like, the heavens would open up and I just felt this peace. And for the longest time in my life, I would always blame the Lord. I would always go and be like, oh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? Like, why aren't you doing this? And I started, like, going, well, 
Jesus, how did you handle this? Because obviously we're taught, like, Jesus is perfect in all ways, and so it's like, okay, cool, he's perfect, I'm not, I get it. Like, well, that doesn't drive a point home with pain. You just still continue to struggle. So I was like, Jesus, like, what the heck is going on? And I start to read scripture. I notice, like, Jesus is doing the same thing. Jesus himself was asking for the cup to be taken from him, crying in the garden. In fact, I do have some scripture we can go to. Um, it was Luke 22, 39, 46. Um, do we have that on the thing? Do we know? Maybe? Oh, cool. Um, so if you have your Bibles, otherwise just look at the board. <laughs> he came out and proceeded as his custom to the Mount of Olives. And as the disciples also followed him, when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. I think we put a lot of emphasis on that last part where he's being perfect and holy, going, yeah, God, of course your will be done. But I want to focus on the part before where he's crying out, saying, I don't want this. I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden you go, wait, Jesus, like you're struggling with this too? And that stuff started to stew in me. I was like, okay, if God doesn't, like, if Jesus is struggling with the answer, okay, maybe we're not that far off with this. And I truly believe that in the intimate place that when we come before the Lord with our hurt and we're pushing it forward going, God, what is going on? Like, I'm mad. I'm struggling. It's not about what we're saying. It's not about the emotions that are coming out. It's about where we're going to. Where do you go when you're hurting? See, a beautiful thing about Jesus is you can go to him belligerently mad at him. And as long as you're going to him, he's still welcoming you in. He's still taking you in going, okay, I understand. He's still listening to us. And that's something that I was like, okay, cool, I can work with that. I don't have the answer. Looks like he doesn't either. Well, let's start with that then. <laughs> so I started pursuing intimacy with him, going, yeah, this sucks. I'm just going to keep complaining. I'm just going to keep, keep crying out. And struggling and not knowing the, the right thing to do, not knowing, like, is this something I need to work through, whatever. But Jesus is feeling the same way, and I can go to him. And there's an open door there. And if we even look, we see that, like, he starts to feel these things with us. Because, again, I was always with the perspective of, like, God's above us. Like, he knows everything. We're down here. We don't know anything. God's always right. If we're struggling, we're just out of line. Like, we're not right because God's good all the time. So it's like, why are we struggling then? If he's perfect, we're not, I get it. And so you kind of think that, that you have to get back in line and it becomes this performance thing. It becomes this, well, I need to be holy again. Well, I need to go in prayer again. Well, I need to go whatever, like fill in the blank. And we can look at more scripture with that. of like with Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany was Lazarus's brother. And right as Lazarus dies, she comes to the Lord. And we can go to scripture as well with that, with John 11, 32, 26. 32, 36, probably. Um, Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So right there, going back to him with the pain, going back to him with the unanswered hurt, going, what, what was that? And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jew who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. I know we talk about this scripture a lot, and there's so much you can dissect with it. But guys, Jesus is weeping with her. He has the authority to fix it. He has the power to fix it. But he has the humanity to feel it with us. 
and I want to go to the humanity of Jesus. I get it. He's all God, and he's all human. We talk about that. That's the whole thing. Like, that's one of the pillars of understanding who Jesus is. But I really want to focus on the humanity of him. Because I want it to be clear to us that he's feeling these things with us. He's not just up in a box somewhere, not working with us, like, just standing over us. Like, that's not him. Yes, he can fix it. You look at what Mary of Bethany says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Is that a faith problem? She seems to be believing he could have fixed it. It's not a faith problem. Why is she still hurting? Sometimes things happen that suck, and they hurt, and they're not a faith problem. But with the humanity of Jesus, he feels it with us. So let's not ignore those feelings. Now, don't get me wrong. There's still a place for petitioning and prayer. There's still a place for knowing that God can fix things and holding out in faith. I'm not denying that. And we can clearly see Mary of Bethany doing that. She's saying, like, I know you could have fixed this, Lord. But there's a humanity to Jesus that I don't want to overlook here. And I think it's such a, a beautiful thing that we as believers can go to him. See, we can argue all day about, like, semantics of, like, is Jesus, and I was doing this with Nate because, again, he went to seminary and I didn't. So I was like, well, Jesus isn't omnipotent. He's not omnipresent, meaning he's not, he doesn't know everything and he's not everywhere like God is. He still knows way more than us, but, like, he's not the same definition of what God is. We know that scripturally speaking. So you go, wait a second. If you look at what Jesus knew, which, again, is a lot more than we did, but he didn't have every answer. And he himself is going to the Father, going, God, take this from me. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, please take this from me. Then I think we can extrapolate from that that we're not supposed to have the answers. We're just supposed to know the person that does. That is really our only goal, is like to point to the person who can fix these things, who can take care of us, who is wanting intimacy with us. I mean, I go back to like the very point of why did Jesus come here? You guys can answer this. Like, why did he come to earth? Any volunteers should know this from Bible school. There you go. Yeah. See that. That's Sunday School 101. We're all told that. Yes, he came to die for our sins. Yes, he came to die for us. Did he have to spend time with us, though? Really, like the only qualifications for what Jesus had to do, be on earth, be perfect, and die. He could have done that in a forest alone. Like, he could have done, like, really, there, there is no reason for him to be around us to fulfill, fulfill the very reason he came here. So it's all of a sudden, well, why, why did he do that then? Was he bored? No, 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 he wasn't bored. He's Jesus. You can make water to wine. You're not bored. And so, <laughs> just saying. So, but, but he came here to spend time with us, to know us, to build intimacy with us. So why would we assume that that changes when we're struggling? Why would we assume that that's something that all of a sudden is based on how holy you are? Again, if you, uh, we can talk about like, oh gosh, I guess I'll go this way. So we could talk about what believers usually try to answer the hurt of unanswered prayer with. What I mean by that is when we're struggling, the church tries to apply fake theology to it. They try to bend who Jesus is to make sense of what's going on, i.e., God's trying to teach you a lesson. That one's fun. <laughs> God's trying to put you through something to build character, to, to become a better person. God's going to ruin your life. Like, do you realize what that sounds like? God's going to ruin your life to make you better? It's like, no, God's not giving us these pains. He's just so good at fixing horrible things that we begin to think it was him. 
But like, I can tell you, like, one of the lowest points in my life, this is a horrible story, but <laughs> have you ever cried on a bicycle? Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, when people try to say, well, money can't buy happiness. Yeah, it makes sadness a lot more fun, though, okay? So let's talk about this. Have you ever cried on a bike? Because I have. Not, not as a child, but like as a full-grown adult. So two years ago, I was working at a kitchen in Boulder. I'm going to school in Boulder. Problem. I'm living in Westminster. Long commute. Also problem. Don't have a car. Very long commute. It's an hour bike ride to the bus stop and then an hour bus ride to where I work. Now, I open at like, I was, I don't work there anymore, thank God. Um, I opened at like 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. What did that mean? Well, that meant I had to be on my bike at 4 a.m., get to the bus stop at 5, get to work by 6. For those of you that take RTD that early, you know that RTD doesn't run between those times. It's just the one time. If you miss it, you're an hour late to work. Not fun, you get fired. So I needed money. So I'm working, all that fun stuff. I'm at my job. Bike gets stolen. I'm like, oh, my God. I don't know how I'm going to get to work tomorrow. That's tomorrow's Jake's problem. So come tomorrow, no bike, and it's 4 a.m. Because I had to open at 6 that day. So I was like, okay, cool. We'll figure this out. Like, worst case scenario, I can run. When you're up at 4 a.m., you immediately regret anything you said to yourself the day before. And you're like, that's not happening. So I'm staying at my parents' house at the time. I go outside thinking I have a lot of siblings. I could probably find a bike. Anyone's bike would probably work. Thinking Julia, my 16-year-old sister, probably has a bike. That'll fit me. I go outside. There is one bike. It is my four-year-old sister's Cinderella pink and blue princess bike, which does go to my knees, okay? So I'm staring at this going, well, I definitely don't want to run. Wheels are better than no wheels. And so I take this bike. I returned it. I took this bike. And now I'm thinking, okay, there's this giant hill on the way to RTD. It's going to suck on the way home. But to get to work on time, I can at least coast down this giant hill. I'm thinking I can get at least half the way with this bike. So I'm not going to bike to the hill. I'm running with the child's bike at 4 a.m. By a swamp, mind you, which I want you to know, it doesn't matter if you're not afraid of anything, 4 a.m. in pitch black darkness by a swamp, swamp monsters are real. So I start hearing all these sounds, and I start running with the bicycle, as you do. Immediately trip over it immediately take a spoke to the gut. Like, it was bad. My knees bleeding. Like, I am just a mess. I get back up. I'm like, okay, okay, cool. Not going to do that again. And so I put the bike on my shoulders and start running. And I'm going to where the hill is. I finally get to the hill. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm at the hill. I can, I'll, I'll easily get to the end of this. So I get on the bike, and of course, like, my knees are, like, outside of the handlebars because it doesn't fit me. And so I start going down the hill. I'm feeling so good. I'm like, yes. This worked somehow, somewhere, this worked. I get like a tenth of how far I thought I was going to get. I'm like, oh, God, this, this sucks. Now, I kid you not, it starts to rain. And so here I am riding a four-year-old's bike in the rain, bleeding. And let me tell you what I'm wearing. What were you wearing, Jake? I'll tell you. So I was wearing swim trunks and Crocs. Why? It's fashionable. No, because I worked in a kitchen between three grills, two deep fryers, and a tortilla press. It was really hot. So I wore the swim trunks, that's why. The Crocs, non-stick, and they don't slip very well. So that's the other reason. So I look like I escaped uh, like some type of mental hospital. Again, with the child's bike. It's raining. I start crying, because that's what you do. And not like the like, like the, the like sobering, so, sobering. One of those words, crying, but it was like the, you're in so much pain, but you're not awake yet, so you don't know what's going on crying. A lot of the mothers know that one. And so I'm just 
crying, but still biking, because I'm too stubborn to get off the bike. I'm like, no, I took this thing with me, I'm gonna do this. So I finally get to RTD. Like, the bus stop itself is like probably a 10-foot hill up to the bus stop. So what I usually do is run my bike up it. Well, this is too tiny, so I put the bike on my shoulders. I run up the hill, and I kid you not, I wish I was making this up, so did my therapist. Um, I come face to not face with a buck naked homeless man, 5 a.m. And I was like, I don't know what to do in this moment. <laughs> now, looking back at it, he was definitely more afraid of me than I was of him. I could tell he didn't have a weapon, I could kind of see. And so it was obvious, unless he had something in his beanie. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So all he sees is, mind you, it's raining. Here is an adult crying, covered in blood, wearing shorts and Crocs with a pink and blue Cinderella bicycle on his back. What's gonna happen? All he said was, good morning. I was like, yeah, okay. And so that was my day. It's 5 a.m. Things are not looking great for me. So I still have to go work a 12-hour shift and get this, bike home, okay? You can't walk a child's bike in public without someone thinking, what did he do and where is that child? So you have to ride it, because then at that point they at least think, oh, he's different. And like they don't think like, oh, he stole a bike. So I get home. Money doesn't buy happiness. You're right. Car. Car would have been awesome in that moment, right? Right? It would have prevented a lot of unneeded therapy. And so you look at this stupid story and you compare it to very real pain in the hospital. Neither of them built character. Neither of them brought more intimacy. This thing that we always try to say happens when bad things happen to people, that the church tries to explain, or like, oh, look, look what Jesus did to you to build character. It's like, no, that just built a resentment to public transportation. Like, that's all that did. And so I know it's a stupid story, but I share it because I'm like, it's just as stupid to say that built character or that built intimacy or God is, like, in that as it is to say me in the hospital bed freaking out builds character and intimacy. Do you see what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter what it is. It's not Jesus. <laughs> now, was Jesus with me in that moment? Of course he was. That's what intimacy is. Can I look back at it and laugh at it after the initial crying? Yes. And so there's definitely that, but it's something that's like, God, we're not going to give answers to pain anymore if you're not doing that, you know? Like, hopefully that makes sense. But what I'm trying to say is like, I'm not gonna look at those moments in my life and go, oh yeah, I'm glad that happened, otherwise I wouldn't be me. It's like, no, no, I would still be me without having to do that. I could still be me if I had a car and I could get that image of the anatomy lesson at 4 a.m. out of my brain. And so all of these things I go, wow, but that's not how you get intimacy, then how do we get intimacy? And that's where we go right back to scripture and we go and look at what Jesus is doing, where he's coming before the Lord and he's feeling that hurt. He's feeling the hurt. He's not ignoring it. He's not going around saying, yeah, well, I was um, struggling and God's going to use it for character. Like, he's not doing that. In fact, if you look further in the scripture in Luke 22 with uh, him crying in the garden out to the Lord, we go and read past the, Father, are you willing to remove this cup from me? Yet not my will, but yours be done. He says, now an angel from heaven appears to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
Jesus is hurting that his friends aren't up with him. He, he, there's a humanity we're seeing again of him where he's going, look, like, I don't know what to do, but I know the, the people I love. I know who God is. I know all of these things, but that knowledge is still not removing this pain. It's still not answering the hurt going on. You're not seeing Jesus coming back from crying and going to the disciples and being like, yep, God's just building some character in me. Like, this is how it works. It's like, no. Do you realize the law was a perfect way to make you holy by performance? When we had the law, the thing that Jesus abolished when he came and died for our sins, that was how you built holiness. That's how you became more holy. And so he comes and abolishes that, and we're going to sit here and try to resurrect it by saying, oh, yeah, like, I'm suffering, so that's the equivalent of sacrificing a goat because I wore two different yarns. It's like, no, that's the dumbest thing ever. See, Jesus just loves us. He just wants to be with us. He came to this world to be intimate with the people of it. And I think that, like, I understand completely that pain will try to get you to go to, why is this happening? Who is doing this? Like, is this my fault, Lord? We try to seek out answers, but I don't think that he was doing that either. And as much as we can do that, and don't get me wrong, there's no shame in doing it, and there's no shame in complaining to God of, like, why is this happening? But at the same time, if we focus on the answers, we'll miss out on the intimacy. If we focus on, I need to have the right person say the right thing, then we'll never move into an intimate place with the Lord. And I really believe that, like, right now in this season, God is building something in all of us as a perspective change to not have the answers. But we're going to have a place that just glorifies God and who he is, that when people come here, we can say, like, we don't know what's happening. We don't have a solution to it. Let's go to the Lord. Where are you going with the hurt? Because if we look at Jesus... Jesus is going to his father. He's going in the garden saying, hey, I don't want to do this. He's described as crying tears of blood. That's not chipper. Like, that's not excited. He's struggling. He's hurting and not knowing where to go with it. I think that, like, again, we talk about, like, how important joy is. And we talk about how joy, hope, love, all these great things of Jesus, which he definitely had. I mean, for crying out loud, he's sleeping in a storm. Like, we look at John 11, 32, no, I'm kidding, Mark 4, sorry, Mark 4, 35 through 41, where he's sleeping in a storm, and the disciples are freaking out, and he wakes up, he's like, what do you guys want? <laughs> Why is he not freaking out there, but he is in the garden? It's like, oh, was he afraid of his, for his life in one situation and not the other? No, I think it's because of the intimacy. I think because Jesus knows who he's intimate with, he knows it's going to be okay. And even then, in the garden, he's still struggling. He's still hurting, going, God, I don't want to do this. He still had the intimacy to know that the person in charge is in charge of every situation. And it was in that rest, in that intimacy, he's able to sleep in a storm. He's able to be calm and be like, what do you guys want? And then, like, almost scold them for not dealing with the storm themselves it's like wait a second he has that kind of intimacy that kind of hope for us it's like that's the relationship I want with Jesus I want to know the Jesus that can sleep in a storm cry in a garden and be intimate with me when I'm hurting and I'm yelling at him because there's something that's enacted in faith in that and I truly believe we can't work in faith if we're just ignoring all the pain and again, don't get me wrong, counseling is a great thing, therapy is awesome, we have so many tools in the church that are here to help you. And there's a lot of that that, that is very beneficial. Apologetics can free up logical like, problems you may be having. But when it comes to intimacy, it's not about knowing the right thing, it's about who you know. It's about where you're going with it. 
and I, I know this, for this season right now, there's been so much shifting in the church. I mean, for us, we just planted one, and we have no idea what we're doing. And so we look around us, and it's the same thing in the body of Christ. We're watching as peoples around the world are not knowing what's going on, not knowing how to handle what's happening. And now a lot of people will cry out for revival. A lot of people will try to blame things. A lot of people will try to go, well, God's going to take care of it. And yeah, I understand all of that. And we are going to cry out for revival. We are going to know that God's good. But that shifting, the complete uprooting of what we used to believe, all of that is happening to get us to a more intimate place with him. Because you see, if you still have those pains, if you still have that unanswered prayer, if you still have that, like, distance with the Lord, you can have revival happen, and it'll be cool for a little bit, but you're not going to have that freedom come with it. And one of the beautiful things is this doesn't fall on us. We have to remember, as much as we may be doing whatever we're doing, Jesus is seeking us out. He's calling us out, his beloved. He's seeking us out going, these are my people. You are the diamond in the rough. You're the diamond in the field as we look at scripture. And he says, I sold everything for you. And it changes when you recognize there was a humanity to him along with the perfection of him. That he was able to give everything up for us as a perfect being, but also able to give everything up for us because he could feel what we were feeling. I'm not worshiping emotions. Please understand that. I'm just saying that there was a humanity to him where he understood. He came to earth and spent time with us because he loved us, because he wanted to know who we were as people, and he still does. And it's like, yeah, I don't know how to give a sermon on how to answer unanswered prayer. I don't know how to get a group of people from point A to point B when I don't even have the answers. But I do know who the person is. I do know who Jesus is. I know that I know that even with me not being healed yet, I know he still will. But he also answers for the hurt that I feel until that happens. Now, don't get me wrong. I live in joy. I live in so much joy. I mean, I can laugh at riding a child's bike. Anytime I get an ego, my mom just yells, hey, Cinderella. And it goes right back to like, okay, I get it. And so like, I, I really do have that joy. But I wouldn't have that joy if it wasn't for the intimacy. If I didn't know the person I could go to, I would never be able to sleep in the storm. And I'm going to be the first to admit, I have relationships that have helped me that I would not be here today without them. And so I understand that all these things are great. The church is awesome. I, like, there's nothing better than being able to just show up and worship. And there are practical things we can do with the hurt of just showing up and worshiping. Just showing up and going, no, God, you're good. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to answer, this is my dream. This is what it feels like now. They're very different. Like, I don't know how to answer that. But it's in that separation that it enacts faith. It pulls on the strings of Jesus' heart. I mean, again, we look at Mary of Bethany. Jesus says, where is he? And he just starts to weep. It's like, yeah, we can pull on the heartstrings of our God because we love him, because he loves us. Beloved, we're supposed to feel the groan in us, not just a groan for revival, but the groan that Jesus felt as a human, the groan where he was struggling and didn't know what to do, but he took it to the garden. He took it to that intimate place with the Lord. And I, I want to see a Christianity where this is the reality, where we don't go to the insecure trying to have the answer of like, well, you just need to pray harder. Well, you need to have more faith. Like, we can do all of that. We can try to have answers. They only comfort for like 10 seconds. And usually it only comforts the person telling the answer, not the person struggling. And so we can try to do that, or we can go to a place where we're just, okay, God, I don't know what to do here. But I know you're good. Actually, I know you're great. I know you, this is not your will. 
Guys, again, we can try to say, well, he's building character. Really? My character comes from my intimate place with him, not through what I've been through. And you know what? Jesus didn't want me to go through that stuff. That's not his heart to be like, well, you're going to suffer your whole life, but then like for a couple of years, it'll be neat. Like, that's not what he's doing. He's saying, look, I love you. I love you. I want to be with you. We're going to change the world by building that house for people to go to where they know they're always welcome, where they always are able to encounter Holy Spirit. Like, that's our dream is we just want to have a place where Jesus is always present, where you can feel encounter of Holy Spirit. We just have the Father's love pouring out. That's what we want. We want to change this nation. We want to change the culture. We want all these things, but it really does start with that intimate place. Again, you look at everything Jesus is giving us. He's taught us how to have authority over the demonic. He's taught us how to to do miracles, which was literally just him speaking things, getting healed, and it worked. And so you have him teaching us these tools, but if we look at what he's doing, he's not going through trying to build character. He's not going through trying to discipline himself. He's just being perfect as Jesus, fully God, but also fully man, feeling everything we're feeling going through it and going, okay, God, I don't know what's happening. And I find it, and I know this may sound like heresy, but I find it strangely comforting that Jesus didn't have all the answers. Now, don't get me wrong. He still knows more than all of us. Like, I understand that. But he wasn't omnipotent like God. And so there's a comfort in that he didn't know when he was coming back. Omniscient. Thank you, Nate. I was testing you. You passed. Um, <laughs> no, but, but there's a comfort in Jesus not having all the answers. I mean, even in Scripture, it says even the Son doesn't know the end time. Like, all these things that we were taught, of, like, yeah, there's, I was always taught at least, there's, like, one thing that Jesus didn't know, which was the end time thing. And then we look at it, and we go, no, there was a lot. Like, he didn't know when he was coming back. He knew he would be resurrected, but he didn't know when that was going to happen. And he's sitting in a garden with all of his friends sleeping, struggling, hurting, going, what the heck, guys? Wake up. Like, I'm hurting here. I said, oh, if he can do that? I think we have permission to, to feel that hurt. And only permission, I think it enacts faith. I really do. The only way I've ever been able to get through the things I've been able to get through, not just the people that love me, that I have amazing relationships with, those were awesome, and I would not be here without them. But I think it was just because I always knew where to go with it. That if anything happened, if any struggle was coming up, I always knew to run home. And really, that's all church is. Like, that's all church is supposed to be. Like, we're just supposed to have a place where we know we can run home to. And so, again, like, I don't have the answer to guess from point A to point B. But I do know the person who can. I do know that, like, we are still holding out for revival. We still have it in our hearts of the hope that God will answer us. And he's not just, like, waiting for us to be perfect. We already are as holy as we possibly can. But Nate's talked about that in the past. Like, we already have all these things, but there really is something about, like, we need to feel this. We need to let the humanity come through and go, okay, God, I'm not seeing what is in my dreams, what you put in my vision. See, the irony is in the quiet place with the Lord, if you're not bringing up the unanswered prayer, he usually does. You can be feeling great, and Jesus will bring that up, and he goes, what about this? What about that intimate relationship you used to have? What about the, the not being healed in my case? <laughs> And it hurts. You're like, oh, why are you doing this? It's not like God's trying to hurt you. It's trying to build up that intimacy again. See, if you never talk about what you're struggling with, if you never talk about, like, what is that with a friend, that relationship starts to struggle. It's part of intimacy is being vulnerable. It's like, yeah, I can believe God's going to heal me all I want. I can get up here, speak, and say, God, you're going to heal me. That's great. But do I feel like that all the time? No. 
there's a lot of times where I'm struggling. I go, you know what would have been cool, God? You could have fixed this right here. <laughs> like, that would have been cool. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of times where he has, but it's in that dialogue. I really believe that perspective change can happen. And so I think that's most of it, is I just wanted to bring this up because I know there's a perspective change right now in this season we're supposed to step into. And I really think that it starts with recognizing Jesus did not just come here to die for our sins. Yes, that was his goal. That's what happened. But he spent time with us while we were here. We need to recognize that the Jesus we are worshiping, the Jesus that we love, loved us back and wanted to be around us. So I was going to stop a little early because I just wanted to have ministry time. And if we could have, like, the worship band get back up or anyone that's willing to that can play. <laughs> um, oh, Gabby. Where's Gabby? Oh, yeah. You're getting up here. And so if we could just have that. And then, like, again, you're dismissed if you don't want to be here. That's all good. But right now, just a moment where you can come before the Lord. I'm not telling you to search for pain. Like, well, God, what am I struggling with? Like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying... Let's get back to this intimate place with the Lord where we know he's in charge, but he has a humanity about him where he loves us. He feels what we're feeling. He really does. He longs for our people to be set free just as much as we long for it. And we just need that to happen. So go ahead and come up if you want. But right now, Jesus, we just, we just welcome you. Lord, we love you. And we thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, guys. It's so cool. 